Well, we have quite a bit of uh, material to uh, cover uh, this afternoon, uh, so we, we better get started. Uh, uh, my name is Arnold Gorski, and uh, the topic today is Evidence-Based Medicine, the Church, and Development. And uh, why don't we begin with prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for our many blessings. Uh, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, to be with uh, each of us uh, this afternoon, your spirit of wisdom and truth, so that all that we do may be for your greatest glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I've been uh, 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 teaching this kind of thing for over 25 years, and I do know all the rules, uh, you know, the participatory approaches and and so, in fact, I've, I've, I've uh, given uh, uh, instruction to people on, on, on how to give presentations, also on how to give PowerPoint uh, presentations. And uh, this afternoon, I'm probably going to break all those rules. And the reason for that is, uh, is that we're talking about evidence-based medicine. Whenever I'm, I'm asked to speak about evidence-based medicine, the subject is so critically important, and there is so much information there that uh, I can uh, provide a better service to you by throwing as much information at you as you can possibly handle. And then what I promise to do is put the presentation up on the website. Now, it's probably going to take me uh, a few weeks to do that uh, uh, because there's a few problems, but uh, it will be on the website. So if there's anything that you're interested in, it will be up there, and you will be able to find the resources and the, uh, all the websites, and you will be able to learn at your own pace. And that's the way you have to do this, because this subject is, is too important uh, uh, for me not to present it this way. Okay, now we're going to talk uh, part one here, uh, and we're going to go real fast, and I'm going to talk as fast as I possibly can. So, so uh, 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 please, please try. Don't try to take notes at all. You know, just try to absorb as much as you can. So part one is the two greatest threats to health and development in the U.S. and globally. And uh, the first uh, 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 threat is the global epidemic of, of drug uh, misuse and abuse. Uh, this is, uh, the U.N. has had uh, uh, two political declarations uh, on uh, crises that are uh, seriously affecting uh, the progress in global development. And one of these is uh, uh, the uh, Declaration on Global drug, drug Control. And they usually don't underline everything. Here's they underline everything, and you can't read this part in here probably, so I, I uh, uh, retyped it down here. And it says, drugs destroy lives and communities, undermine sustainable human development, and generate crime. Drugs affect all sectors of society in all countries, in particular drug abuse, affects the freedom and development of young people, the world's most valuable asset. Drugs are a grave threat to the health and well-being of all mankind, the independence of states, democracy, the stability of nations, the structure of all societies, and the dignity and hope of millions of people and their families. Now, this is important. Uh, most of us, now, not all countries are affected the same, but in America, North America and South America, probably more than any other part of the world, we are. I uh, just go down to Mexico and see how that's affected their economy down there. But you don't have to go down to Mexico. And you'll find what we're talking about today, uh, the country that has the most problems is us. What is the effect on the U.S.? Each year, drug abuse and addiction costs the taxpayers nearly $534 billion in preventable health care, 
law enforcement, crime, and other costs. Now, I'm not an expert on economics, but I've, I've read figures where the amount of money that, w- that it would take to fund, uh, to provide insurance for all the uninsured in our country is, is, is around $100 billion. So we're talking five times that amount. So that, that gives you an understanding on, uh, uh, on how uh, uh, important this is to our country. The U.S. is estimated to be among the highest levels of both legal and illegal drug use among all countries surveyed. The second uh, uh, greatest problem, what pending disaster undermines social and economic development throughout the world, threatens the achievement of internationally agreed development goals? This is from, directly from the re- resolution from the U.N. in January of this year. A disaster far, far greater than all of our hurricanes. Now, this is, happens to be Sandra. Uh, far, far greater than all of our hurricanes, earthquakes, and tsunamis combined, affecting the lives of millions of people from every country throughout the world and costing trillions of dollars. Recently resulted in the second ever United Nations General Assembly on Health in its 67-year history. The Director General of the World Health Organization has labeled this the slow-motion disaster. It's beyond the coping capacity of even the wealthiest countries in the world. So what are we talking about? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, I've been giving this, this talk for a number of years, and, and when I first started giving it, I give it to doctors and nurses. And, and we'd sit here for five, ten minutes, you know, uh, uh, coming up with the answers to some of these questions. So, so you, you, I, thankfully you read the abstract. <laughs> okay, that's true. It's the global epidemic of noncommunicable diseases. Okay, so... Uh, again, uh, to summarize part one, the two greatest threats, uh, number one is the global epidemic of drug misuse and abuse, and the second is the global epidemic of noncommunicable diseases. At this point in the presentation, most of uh, uh, the people who are a bit overweight, and in the U.S., that's 70% of us, they start to squirm and feel guilty. Uh, so before we go on, and, and uh, I want to talk about this. Uh, because uh, uh, it's important that you go into this presentation with, with, with the right uh, state of mind. Uh, being obese can be a blessing. Your being obese can actually be a blessing to you and your community. Rick Warren's example is leading thousands to better physical health. Even more important, he's reaching out to the community and providing the opportunity for, for complete health and healing, complete mind, body, spirit health and healing, to thousands more. Now, here he's been on uh, television with uh, uh, Dr. Oz. Uh, As of uh, December of last year, he had lost over 50 pounds. So that you are attending this conference indicates that you have leadership potential. You don't need a website or Dr. Oz. Except for a scale, a tape measure, and God, you won't need any resources at all. This presentation will point you to all the evidence-based materials you need, and they are all free. So I want you to ask yourself, and even if uh, actually you're, you're better off for this, for this calling to be overweight and obese, but even if you aren't, uh, you can go back and partner with someone who is. So I want you to think about this. Is God calling you to, to uh, be a church and community leader? Now, this presentation will demonstrate the following. From a biblical standpoint, there is no more important calling. From an evidence-based standpoint, there is no more critical need. And from the standpoint of both, there is no greater opportunity. 
So that's the mindset. You know, a, a tremendously important problem and tremendous opportunity. So part two is uh, why global health and development needs evidence-based uh, medicine. And uh, I have to give you some background because most people, uh, how are you? Most people, uh, you just missed the best part. Uh, <laughs> but we'll go over it again with you. We talked about this before. Uh, uh, whenever we talk about medicine, evidence-based medicine, we, we have to define what it is because, uh, because this is very important. But it's also important that you know that the first clinical trial where evidence-based medicine actually began was right here in the book of Daniel. My secular colleagues will all agree with this. It's the first recorded clinical trial. Daniel refused to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink for 10 days. Compare our appearance to the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. At the end of 10 days, you look healthier, better nourished than any of the others. So they took away their choice food and wine and gave them vegetables to eat instead. And when their training was complete in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than them all. So, if we hope to improve the quality of care of the host developing countries that we go to, we must first evaluate the quality of care we are exporting. That's the first lesson. Now, why? And there in the Bible it tells us. It says, Jeremiah 25, 9 calls God, or calls Nebuch, uh, states that God calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Daniel 1, 2 states that, and the Lord delivered Judah into his hand. So this was, was God's plan. Uh, Babylon was the most powerful and, and advanced nation in the world. The king's intentions for Daniel's care were the very best. Daniel also was to be given the very best training. The king was providing what he was certain was the very best care and what he used for himself and his family. But for Daniel and God and current evidence-based clinical guidelines, the care and example provided by the most advanced nation in the world was wrong. So again, the lessons from this very first clinical trial are as applicable today as they were 2,600 years ago. Okay, now what, what actually is, uh, why do we need evidence-based medicine? It's the information exposure, explosion. It's no longer possible to keep up with all the thousands of studies. So each of us base, uh, in healthcare, we base our, our treatment on those studies that are brought to our attention. So we all have our own individual uh, stacks of journals, and that's what we read. And that's why we all disagree, because we all have our own different stacks. So the validity of, and the second reason is the validity of evidence from individual uh, studies, even from the very best journals, is usually poor. There's no, no number of reasons for this. And good evidence in the medical literature is rare and very difficult to find. And not all evidence-based medicine is truly evidence-based. Not everything that you'll see that says best practices is really best practices. So, so, so how do you find out? How do we find the truth, the most important knowledge? Well, Evidence-based medicine is always a team approach, always a team approach. It takes statisticians and epidemiologists and clinical experts combined. Now, this is just for a small project here. You have these uh, 25 uh, uh, experts here, some epidemiologists, some statisticians, some clinical experts, just for the Academy of Pediatrics uh, Handbook on uh, Infectious Disease. And they, in turn, uh, uh, work with greater than more than 250 collaborators just for this project. And what they do is they take not just some journals, but they look at all the journals, all the evidence throughout the world. And the, the, really the most important people here are the statisticians and the epidemiologists because it's very difficult to evaluate this, these studies to determine how valid they really are. 
you can set up a study, and the problem nowadays is that most studies uh, in medicine are set up by drug companies. You can set up a study to really show pretty much what you want it to show. And, and so it's very important that the statisticians and epidemiologists look over how that study is set up to make certain the conclusions are, are uh, valid. And what we'll talk about today, the, the, uh, the information we give you comes from, not, uh, comes from these sources. And the, uh, the best source, the sources we use most often are uh, the, well, we'll talk about that later. But for, the, uh, for global health, we have to use the World Health Organization. They, ha they have the authority in that area. So what do they look at? They look at uh, uh, the, the gold standard is the uh, systematic review of randomized control studies, and then you go down. Level five is expert opinion. That's the lowest level of acceptable evidence, and that's the one most of us physicians use when we refer, uh, when we have patients that are, that are causing us problems. The, the patient has an endocrine problem, we'll call up the pediatric endocrinologist for help. So that's really the, the lowest level of acceptable evidence. Really, the best le level of evidence is, is up here. Now, what about in my experience? You know, uh, evidence-based studies show that the increased years of clinical experience the decrease the quality of care. Now, the only reason I can get away with that is because I'm usually among the oldest doctors in, in, the, in the group. But why is that? Why do you think that is? The, our other clinical and diagnostic skills far surpass those of our younger colleagues. So what evidence-based biblical truths do we old-timers sometimes forget? Yeah, that's part of it. What, what does even a child know? Yeah, that's a big part of it. <laughs> big part of our problem. But... Yeah, what it is, uh, yeah, we have to move on. But even a child knows. A, a, a child gets, what? Uh, well, has everybody got those uh, websites off? Off the, okay. Uh, sure, if you can. Yeah, that'd be, oh, you do. Oh, great. Well, uh, okay. Okay, well, well, we know when a, uh, well, a child knows. They get a, a paper cut uh, on their hand one day and it hurts a little bit, and then the next day or two days, it's gone. So what does that teach us? Our bodies were created to be self-healing. And we all, often forget that. You know, because we're treating all these patients, after a time we get to think it's because of what we're doing. And what we forget that oftentimes the patients are healing themselves. So it's not really our treatment at all that we can rely on. What we have to rely on is going back, as some, one of you mentioned here, we have to go back to the evidence-based literature and base our practice on that, not on our personal uh, clinical experience. Now, it's not just doctors that have that problem, all of us. And so all of us, that, that uh, as we get older and we get more experience, we have to be certain that we continue to go to the best evidence-based guidelines that we're not basing our health care treatment or our health care uh, 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 education materials on, on our own experience. Now, the second part of this I, I learned in Sunday school, uh, and that also is, is evidence-based, uh, to respond to our beliefs and values. Now, in Sunday school I was taught, you know, if you believe in God, you believe in prayer, you can be healed. In medical school that was kind of talked down when I went to medical school, which is quite a few years ago. Now it's not. And except uh, some people still have the, the wrong idea of what, what this is called. It, it, in medicine, we call it the placebo effect. And everybody thinks, well, that's, that's something bad. 
And we used to think it was something bad. It's something that just interfered with our experiments. But the placebo effect is a misnomer. What, you're, what, what actually it is, it's the self-healing effect. We know that your beliefs will affect your healing. Absolutely. 100%. We know that. We know that with brain imaging studies, we know what the neural uh, hormonal uh, pathways that are involved. So if you believe that a sugar pill is going to heal you, it will. Not in all cases, but in many, many cases it will. Most of the drugs we use, they, they work, they, they work on, on that effect as much as they do on their actual uh, 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 pharmacological effect. So you have a choice. You, know, you can believe that prayer heals you as well, and it will heal you. So our societies do have a, do have a choice here. And from an evidence-based standpoint, both are proven. Okay, so to put it another way, evidence-based medicine has demonstrated with absolute certainty that the individual and community beliefs and values are much more important to their health and healing than all of our hospitals and clinics, all of our doctors and nurses, all of our drugs and surgeries combined. Absolute, 100% proven. Now, that's why we have to go over this fast, and you're going to have to go to, uh, back to the, to the website if, if, you, if you have any disagreement or, or, uh, with any of this. But we'll try to get as much uh, as we can. Uh, by far the lowest uh, level of evidence is drug dealer information. This is, that's why, you know, never listen to advertisements or read ad, uh, advertisements on drugs. It's, it's bad information. You don't want to read that at all. Even uh, uh, doctors, we're, we're, we get stuff that's supposed to be, evi uh, be evidence-based and it's educational. It's not. Only 6% of drug advertising, this is detailing, quotes, educational material provided to physicians, is supported by the evidence. So, so advertising has really harmed our, our society. So where can we find evidence-based clinical guidelines and materials? Well, health and human services, i got to go over this real quick, uh, for, is what we use for uh, uh, work in our country. For other countries, the World Health Organization is responsible for establishing international standards and guidelines. Uh, the Constitution of the World Health Organization delineates the authority uh, and, and, uh, of uh, their organization and its 193 uh, member countries. And both the U.S. and host countries are member states. So we're all part of this. And the World Health Organization requires that practice guidelines be syst uh, systematically uh, developed evidence-based statements which assist providers and other stakeholders to make informed decisions about appropriate health care. So that's... that's that's a requirement of the World Health Organization. And we'll show you why, why that is both a blessing and not so much of a blessing. Uh, because the number of international standards and guidelines published by the World Health Organization on its website is almost overwhelming. I don't know if any of you go to the website, but it's just uh, tremendous the amount of information that's there. The secretariat of the WHO is staffed by some 8,000 health and other experts and support staff. In addition, there's over 900 collaborating centers, and this includes USAID, World Council of Churchills, and so on, and partners uh, such as the CDC and FDA provide additional thousands of health experts. So they're all creating guidelines, and, and if you've ever tried to search and, and find them, now, and they all aren't uh, of the, the, the same quality. Uh, so I'm also a member of the Best Practices in Global Health Missions uh, uh, working group, and uh, one of our main goals is to, to assist medical missions in meeting the requirements for compliance with these uh, evidence-based uh, standards and guidelines. And this is the website, and that's the uh, bpghm.org uh, website, and uh, you find the international standards here and the mission-specific uh, over here. 
Uh, and if you click on this, you find uh, exactly where the legal uh, 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 legal status uh, of the uh, World Health Organization rests. And it requires that the guidelines uh, be uh, uh, evidence-based. And also the WHO is vested with the global authority as well as the responsibility and the resources for establishing such guidelines. So, so they, they set up in their constitution, which all the countries sign, including us, and that's what gives them the authority. Uh, so none of us really have the authority to, to establish guidelines for other countries. You know, it would be the same as another country coming in and telling us what to do. You know, so so uh, we wouldn't care for that either. Uh, and then the, the guidelines here for health and development can be found right down here. It's the one, first, second, third, fourth down. So, uh, and here you'll find a list of, you just click on these, and uh, all the sites that we're going to address today uh, you can find on there. Uh, for example, the MDG uh, 2012 progress report can be found uh, by clicking there, and this is what you'll get. Uh, and uh, we won't have time to review this, but what's important is here, according to the uh, World Health Organization, the UN, the cost of the above global epidemics that we just talked about now also threatens the achievement of all of these. So that's, you know, and people are counting on these, and we were doing fairly good. Uh, uh, the green shows where we're meeting our goals anyway. It's still a, a long way to go. Uh, but all of these now are in jeopardy. So both of the threats to global health and uh, development are extremely important and result in the resolutions we talked about. However, today we'll, we'll only have time to uh, briefly review the guidelines re related to uh, number nine, the, uh, uh, the one on uh, the global epidemic of uh, non-communicable diseases. So where can we find the evidence-based materials? Well, this is another website on the, on the board there. Actually, if you, you just uh, Google HEPFDC, uh, it'll, it'll come up. And uh, we're associated with uh, the Global Chain Network, uh, and uh, that's another uh, website there. Uh, but there's so much on their website. They're almost as bad as the World Health Organization, so uh, it's, it's sometimes easier to, to find stuff on, on, uh, on the HEPFDC website. Okay, uh, this I'm going to leave. Uh, it'll be on the website. You can read that. We aren't going to have time to go over it. But this, this number three here. Uh, why is health education so critically important? Well, curative care is needed for approximately 30% of our, our patients' health care problems. We always need to collaborate uh, closely with the local health uh, uh, clinic or hospital uh, for those patients who need to be referred. However, as emphasized by the, C, uh, by the Christian Medical Commission and the World Health Organization, if we wish to engage in high-quality, evidence-based care for the remaining 70%, primary prevention and health promotion is essential. And this, with evidence-based materials any church, regardless of resources, can do. So we're talking about 70% of the disease conditions that all of us have, the church can prevent. Okay, now, uh, this I'm going to go through real fast. Uh, most people don't realize that the World Health Organization's approach to health and development actually comes from the Christian Medical Commission, from their work uh, 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 back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, uh, we're, we're going to have to skim right through this, but this provides the evidence for that. Uh, if, uh, if anyone, uh, you, know, you hear a lot of bad-mouthing about the World Health Organization's uh, programs when actually they are, are based on, on the work of the, uh, the Christian Medical Commission. And not only that, you know, all of these things, development, primary care, social determinants of health, MDGs, transformational development, Quest for Shalom, they all are very closely interrelated. 
They're all based on the same principles and guidelines, and they often refer to the same thing. And what we'll show is that on all these websites, uh, if we had time to read all, all this, uh, they'll, they'll say the same thing. MDGs are interdependent. All MDGs influence health. Health influences all MDGs and so on. And uh, even the World uh, uh, Bank says the same thing. Improving health is central to the MDGs. Uh, uh, you go to social determinants of health, and, and it's the same. In uh, uh, primary care, when it's practiced as it was intended to be practiced by the Christian Medical Commission and the World Health Organization, is actually what most people think of as transformational development. So it's different from what you think of as primary care in our country. It's it's much more broad definition. And it's the same as what the uh, biblical scholars think of as the quest for shalom. You're talking about the same concept here in all of these. And essentially what we're doing is we're giving the evidence base for the biblical biblical teachings on, on shalom is what we're doing here. So the principles and guidelines of which all of the above areas are based can, in fact, be traced to the Christian Medical Commission and the Declaration of Almata and primary care. And uh, this includes nearly all the uh, WHO and UN resolutions dealing with significant impacts on global development, such as the current epidemic of drug abuse. You see, here, see here's their, their declaration on, on drug abuse that we just talked about, and under here it says related declarations is the Declaration of Almata. Now, why, why does that one keep coming up, and why is that important to us? Well, this, this, this comes from The Lancet. It says that revolutionary principles, equity, social justice, health for all, community participation, uh, health promotion, appropriate use of resources, and intersectorial action raised by the 1978 Almata Declaration uh, were not only the foundation for health and primary care, but for all of the following, all the ones that, that we just, just mentioned. And the biblical principles of, uh, and concepts of shalom and complete health and healing uh, and well-being are a seldom recognized uh, uh, foundation of the World Health Organization approach, uh, uh, approach to care. In fact, the, the current WHO standards and guidelines on community health and primary care are based on the work and principles of our Christian missionary uh, physician mentors and faith-based organizations in the 60s and 70s. This is especially true for guidelines uh, uh, related to prim- primary care. The World Health Organization uh, uh, published a World Health Report in 2008 uh, devoted entirely to primary care and its, and its renewal and emphasizes the need to return to these Almata principles. Those principles emphasize the integrated holistic approach to health care and were co-authored by Dr. Carl Taylor, a member of the Christian Medical Commission and long-term missionary to India. Now, he spoke here at, at this conference uh, about three years ago, gave the last plenary uh, uh, session. So he is responsible for Almata he and his colleagues in the Christian Medical Commission, and which is the basis for all of these other uh, uh, developmental uh, uh, approaches that we just talked about. And this, this uh, you won't find this as much in the Christian literature as you will in, in the uh, secular literature, the American Journal of Public Health, and this just confirms all this. Uh, uh, it, it all originated from the uh, 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 Christian Medical Commission. And at that time, uh, at the time this happened, the Christian Medical Commission had an office right down the street from the World Health Organization's office, and so they, they were fair, fairly close close uh, together. And also what was essential was the Christian background of Hoftan Mahler, who was the, the director general of the World Health Organization at that time. And uh, 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 he was a charismatic figure with missionary zeal. His father was a Baptist preacher. 
uh, helped shape his personality. This comes from the American Journal of Public Health. This isn't, isn't a Christian. Uh, uh, and uh, as, this is uh, John Bryant. He was the uh, first uh, co-founder and chairman of the CMC. He's still alive. I had the privilege of uh, uh, meeting with him uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, still very active. He's 87 or so. And uh, he tells about the relationship between the Christian Medical Commission and World Health Organization has been portrayed in terms of an anecdotal story involving Hoffman Mahler, the World uh, Health Director General, and Nita Barrow, who was the uh, Deputy Director of the CMC. So when invited in 1974 to introduce the CMC's approach to comprehensive health care to the staff of WHO, she responded, but this is like David and Goliath. To which Mahler replied, yes, but I am a parson's son and I know what David did to Goliath. And that's essentially what has happened. You know, it's, it's, it's Goliath ended up taking uh, the, the work, uh, the biblically based work of the Christian Medical Commission and, and establishing their whole approach to health care on that. So... Uh, uh, yeah, we, we have to move on. Uh, so as noticed previously, the above alma ta revolutionary uh, principles were not only crucial for the health and primary care, but for all of the following. Development, primary care, social determinants of health, MDGs, all of that. Uh, and it's also important to recognize that the, although the alma ta declaration and subsequent WHO standards and guidelines contain no biblical references, they do not mention shalom, and they are considered revolutionary by our secular colleagues, that the above principles and concepts were, in fact, biblically based. And we have strong, strong evidence for that. All you have to do is go back. This, this uh, uh, when it gets on the website, this, this is one of, one of the most wonderful books I've ever read. Uh, it was written by the, the first director of the Christian Medical Commission. It's out of print, uh, 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 this, but this latest revision is available uh, free for downloading on the Internet. So all you have to do is click on that. Definitely do that uh, uh, if you're interested in what we're talking about. Also, this one you should be able to click and, and download. Uh, that's by Dr. Bryant uh, and Dr. Taylor. And, uh, Dr. Taylor passed away, uh, actually, I think in 2008 yet, or, or 2009. Uh, uh, but th they gave a, a, a presentation. So there you have the Christian Medical Commission resulted in the Almata Declaration in Primary Care. That resulted then in the MDGs in 2000 and then the renewal of primary care in 2008. And the biblically prince-based uh, uh, work of our Christian missionary mentors con continues today. And in all of these, you'll find the biblical basis for development. So if you have, have, have any doubts about where, where the World Health Organization is getting these concepts, uh, uh, read, read these. Uh, uh, also, I, this one must have got in here by mistake. Uh, this is uh, Glenn Schwartz right here. He wrote, wrote this one right here. So. Uh, and the biblically-based work of our Christian missionary mentors uh, uh, is actually documented by the World Health Organization. And, w and uh, we'll give you the, you know, just click on this, and here's, this is the World Health Organization book, Building from Common Foundations, the World Health Organization and faith-based organizations in primary health care. They will tell you themselves where, 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 these, where their foundations came from. And they've done a much better uh, job of following uh, Christian Medical uh, Commission principles and recognizing the importance of their work than we have in the U.S. We, and that's why we're in, in so much trouble. Uh, and even this comes from uh, this World Health Organization book. They, they look at our assets, and what's number one? 
Number one is, is prayer. You know, this is coming you know, from a World Health Organization. It's, you know, it's just the same as reading this, you know, the book of the, the first CMC director. So we owe a great uh, uh, debt to our long-term missionary mentors and their ongoing work with the WHO, and that's still happening. Uh, uh, Ted Lancaster, who's speaking here uh, at this conference, is, is closely uh, uh, involved with, with that. So uh, try to attend his uh, uh, presentations if you can. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the current U.S. healthcare system and most short-term medical missions care has little in common with the CMC and the Almanata approach to healthcare. And lack of compliance with uh, these uh, biblically and scientifically based standards and guidelines has resulted in the following problems. We're going to talk about some of the uh, uh, costs and quality of care problems we have. And again, remember what we said before. If we hope to improve the quality of care of host countries, we must first evaluate our own care. So what are the effects on cost? And we spend $2.2 trillion on health care. This is twice the average of other developed countries. Half of all personal bankruptcies are at least partly the result of medical expenses. And this is after the, 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 uh, uh, the mortgage fiasco. But even with the mortgage fiasco, a lot of the reasons these people took out loans on their homes was to pay for, for uh, their health uh, bills. One in three under the age of 65, an estimated uh, 87 million people are now without insurance, at least at some point in the year. This is all coming from uh, the health and human services, you know, the best sources we have. And this is how we're, we're, uh, we're, we're pulling away. We continue to pull away from, from, the, from the rest of the group. We are always up on top. But, and look at this. This is 1982. Remember that date, 1982. What, what happened in 1982 that suddenly uh, made us go up like that? Now here, this comes from, you know, I used to give the talk. I used to use World Health Organization statistics. I, I, I was criticized for doing that. They say, well, you know, other people are, are fudging and, and, and uh, they're not setting it up fairly. And so uh, I started using the Central Intelligence Agency uh, figures because they, of all people, don't want us to look bad. And this is prepared by the CIA for the use of U.S. government officials. And this, uh, this infant mortality rate, this, this gives the number of deaths of infants under one year, uh, year of age uh, per year per thousand live births the same year. The rate is often used as an indicator of the level of health in the country. So every time I look at this, I, I, I get so depressed. Uh, this is 44th was, was when I looked it up in 209. This year, it's, it's down to, to uh, 48th. And, and that's been continuously. Uh, uh, back in 1960, we were 12th best. And this is, this is for, this, uh, from our uh, HHS, Health and Human uh, Services. 31st best in, in, in 2006. And, and now 44th and, and 40, 48th best. So, so, so this is just so distressing. You know, you know as, as I said, the, you know, the, the, the United States Navy invested tens of thousands of your tax dollars uh, into trying to, to uh, make me knowledgeable in this area. You know, to look at a healthcare system, figure out what's, what, you know, look at the evidence base, figure out what's wrong, and, and make it better. You know, and I know this, this is preventable. This is all preventable. The United States Navy is not the only healthcare organization that needs evidence-based medicine. You know, our entire country needs it. And until we, we, we start uh, uh, applying uh, evidence-based medicine to our practices, uh, we're, we're going to continue to make that, that downward shoot. And there, it's, it's so distressing to me. Uh, and it will be to you, too. The more you find out about evidence-based medicine you, and you find out how this is so easily preventable if we just change our approach. 
Uh, maternal mortality rates, the same. Life expectancy at birth, the same. Uh, you know, this is from the CIA. It says, life expectancy at birth is also a measure of the overall quality of life in a country and summarizes the mortality at, of all ages. It can also be thought of as indicating the potential return on investment in human capital and is necessary for the calculation of various actuarial me uh, measures. And we're 50th, 50th below the best, in spite of spending twice as much as everybody else. And uh, so what, you know, Drs. Brandt, Bryant, Fountain, Lamborn, uh, McGilvery, uh, Taylor, all their Christian colleagues have long warned us of this. You read the Christian uh, 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 literature here, that, those books that I had there, and uh, Dr. Schwartz here, uh, long warned of the serious inadequacies of our current approach to health care and to missions. Uh, the disastrous consequences of our ongoing failure to follow the recommendations of the CMC and, and transformation development also continue to be documented in the most recent editions of our best medical journals. And this is just says the same thing. It's September 6th uh, from the New England Journal of Medicine, our best uh, medical journal here. So what's the cause of the problem? What's, what's responsible for this? So uh, the causes, of course, you know, they're multifactorial. There's many reasons for, for our, 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 our going down, uh, 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 down in quality and up in, in cost. But the fundamental cause of the causes is this. Over the past 50 years, there's been a major revolutionary change to the very foundation of our health, U.S. healthcare system. But it's happened so gradually, except for a few Christian writers, we have failed to uh, rec appreciate its importance. Any thoughts? The church has abandoned its historical role as a provider of health care. Instead of following the recommendations of the Christian medical uh, missionary mentors, we have, with very rare exceptions, proceeded in the opposite direction. Uh, is this foundational change that is key and has led to the other uh, uh, resulting uh, uh, increased uh, uh, problems? Now, uh, this is, when you think about it, you know, since, since the beginning of, of of Christianity, uh, you know, from from the time of Jesus' teaching, you know, Jesus said, "I am come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly," and and that continued, it continued uh, uh, through Christianity up until our generation. Uh, there's much talk today about the importance of uh, patient-centered holistic care, but of all our institutions, only the church can provide truly holistic care. We're the only ones that can minister to the spirit as well as the mind and the body. So the church's approach to this ministry has been far from perfect. We know that, that the church has messed up a lot. Uh, uh, but, but until late in the last century, the church had still assumed primary responsibility for the health of the community, uh, even at the very highest and most expensive levels. Nearly all hospitals used to be church-based. Lutheran General, Presbyterian, St. Francis, all of these. I trained at, at, at these. And they provided biblically-based holistic care. Uh, as uh, uh, when I was in pre-med to find out whether I could handle uh, you know, all the bad stuff that goes with, with, with being a physician, I, I took a job as an orderly on a geriatric ward uh, at St. Agnes Hospital. And a uh, terrible place, <laughs> terrible place to be. But, but in spite of how, how, how bad the conditions got, the patients there were prayed for. And they weren't prayed for just by the, by the nuns. They were prayed for by the doctors. They were prayed for by the nurses. They were given holistic care. And we always talk about uh, uh, the, uh, am I just about out of time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, but this is all uh, taken over uh, by the nonprofit. 
or by the uh, for-profit drug and healthcare industry. And this is, you can read this on uh, Wikipedia. Just look up hospitals on Wikipedia, and they say the same thing. They say, uh, uh, this is uh, the uh, 325 A.D., construction of a hospital in every cathedral town was, was begun. And then they say, uh, thus, inpatient medical care in the sense of what we today consider a hospital was an invention driven by Christian mercy and Byzantine uh, innovation. The United States, the traditional hospital is a nonprofit, usually sponsored by a religious domination, denomination, and the late 20th century change of nonprofit hospitals arose in the United States. That's, that's what's key. Uh, and that led to two, two other critical changes. The drug industry, advertising, beliefs, values, and the drug-based society. You just turn on your TV and, and you see it. But this direct-to-consumer uh, advertising of drugs first began in... Okay, now where do we see that, that 1982 figure before? Yeah. Now, it's not just the drug companies. You know, the drug companies, they, they couldn't earn, you know, they earn billions and billions. And if you, you want to invest in anything, invest in the drug company. But that, that can, that's not responsible for that. The, the costs of the drugs themselves are, are very minimal. What's costly, and, and the, the, lecture, the part of the lecture I had, had to delete uh, explained all that. But it's really the adverse effects of our drugs. Our, our adverse effects of our drugs are the fourth leading cause of death in our country. The fourth leading cause of death. And that's the expense. You know, when you have something that's the fourth leading cause of death in your country, uh, you know, even those that, we have wonderful ICUs and emergency rooms, and unfortunately, most people with adverse effects they survive, but still, it's at, a, it's at a tremendous cost. And it's not just a cost in money; it's it's, it's unnecessary suffering and death as well. So, uh, the second part, uh, the second thing it led to is drug and healthcare industry disease mongering and. Uh, uh, and our culture's beliefs, values. And along with advertising, this has had a major change in our, our culture's beliefs uh, uh, with disastrous effects on, on our U.S. population. Uh, and it's also been described as treating de uh, desires, not diseases, a pill for every ill and a ill for every pill. And I had, had to, uh, uh, to we, we aren't going to even finish this. Uh, uh, so back to the slow motion disaster here, the epidemic of uh, uh, non-communicable diseases. Uh, 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 these diseases are all, all already overwhelming our health care system. Uh, uh, the majority of U.S. adults, over 68%, are now overweight or obese. Uh, the higher your BMI, uh, body mass index, the higher the risk for heart disease, uh, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes. That's, that's the main one. That's the one that's, that's, that's skyrocketing. Uh, breathing problems, osteoarthritis, certain cancers, and numerous preventable conditions, including those responsible for the profitability of Di uh, Viagra-related uh, industries. So this is what we were uh, in 1987. You see we're all blue. Uh, the worst of us uh, 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 were 10 to 14 percent. Now, what happened over the next 23 years? That's, that's what's happened to us. Uh, and and uh, you see that you know the, no states are, are 10 to 14 percent anymore. Even California, where we think of ourselves as healthy, uh, we're, we're going down the tubes. We're down to 20, 24 percent. You know, it's a really red states. People have commented on how that isn't too far different from our political uh, 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 maps of the same, but we won't go into that at all. So. Uh, the slow motion disaster, a shorter life expectancy than their, their parents. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is the part as a, as a pediatrician that really uh, 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 breaks my heart. Uh, 
Uh, one in three U.S. children, this is from the, the Surgeon General uh, of, of the United States, one in three U.S. children and teens is now overweight or obese, nearly tripled the rate in 1963. Today's pediatricians are diagnosing and diagnosing an increased number of children with diabe- uh, type 2 diabetes. This used to be called adult onset diabetes. It's not anymore. It's not. Uh, and and uh, 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 tragically, people with type 2 diabetes are at increased risk of developing heart disease, stroke, kidney disease, and blindness. Uh, complications are likely to appear much earlier in life. They're happening already in, in, in teenagers already. And because of uh, the increasing uh, rates of obesity, unhealthy eating habits, physical inactivity, we may see the first generation that will be less healthy and have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. So that, that's the tragedy, tragedy here. There's a, there's a whole lifetime ahead of this, this preventable uh, disease. But it's not only the U.S. that's in serious trouble. Uh, Lancet reports nearly 10% of adults worldwide now. Uh, you know, it's, it's adoption of our Western lifestyle, uh, unhealthy behaviors, replacing of church-based care with commercialized drug-based approach. That happens the same uh, uh, in other countries. Down in Mexico, it's a terrible problem. Uh, and that's resulted in uh, what the, uh, the World Health uh, is called a slow-motion disaster. Now, again, the red is bad, and you see... We can't really transport our way of, of, of doing things to other countries because we're in, in, uh, among those that are in the worst shape. And uh, this uh, you can just check, but just look at the figures. The overall cost will reach $47 trillion by, by 2030. You know, the, the overall cost just, just, just of this. And, uh, uh, and that's what led to that second uh, high-level health care meeting of the UN in 67 years. This is how it breaks down on the graph. Uh, uh, this is already in, in 2004. That's 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 already uh, increasing the proportions now, uh, especially in diabetes. It's, it's much much greater. And this is uh, we'll skip over this. You can, you can go on, uh, go back and uh, look at this more. Uh, uh, this comes this is from the Director General of the World Health Organization. We'll just skim over this. Uh, uh, the World Health, why she calls it a slow-motion disaster. The worldwide uh, increase in non-communal disease is the slow-motion disaster as most of these d- diseases develop over time. You know, it takes years uh, of being overweight before uh, you'll get all of the, the problems with high blood pressure and so on. So it, it's slow, you know, uh, just gradually. But the root causes of the disease are not being addressed, and widespread obesity is to tell uh, – but – I forgot this. But unhealthy lifestyles that fuel these diseases are spreading with a stunning speed and sweep. So that's the problem. It's the unhealthy lifestyle that, that, that's spreading. And the root causes of these diseases are not being addressed. Uh, widespread obesity is the telltale sign. Uh, it's a signal that something is terribly wrong. Just as you cannot hide obesity, you cannot hide the tremendous cost of, of diseases uh, uh, to eco- economies and societies. So these are the diseases that uh, break the bank. And uh, then she, she mentions the $47 trillion and so on. So, uh, 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 you know, so it's difficult to overstate uh, 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 the, the harmful effects. So what urgent action is needed, both in the U.S. and throughout the world? And there's much we doctors and nurses could do if accomplished if we began uh, providing evidence-based health education uh, in accordance with CMC guidance. But most of us, even in, in, in missions, we aren't doing this yet. However, as also noted by the UN and WHO, the root cause of this impending disaster is not medical and it cannot be resolved by doctors and nurses alone. History also shows us it cannot be uh, resolved by the UN and it cannot be resolved by our governments either. For this is a lifestyle problem. It's a problem of beliefs and values. It's a spiritual problem. 
and it requires holistic mind-body-spirit healing and support for resolution, and it will not be resolved until the church reassumes its responsibilities for the health of its members and its community. So it was in efforts to assist the church in meeting these requirements that CHS&E was developed. And uh, uh, This is Christ-centered, church-based healing, uh, an evidence-based, holistic, sustainable approach to transformational development or the quest for shalom. It's all based here on uh, uh, Dr. McGilvery's book, The Quest for Health and Wholeness, that he wrote back in 1981. When Christ commissioned his disciples to heal, he was not addressing the graduating class of a healing profession. He was laying an obligation on all who would follow him. The Christian mission... Uh, ministry of healing belongs primarily to the congregation as a whole and only in that context to those who are specially trained. Uh, if healing is, is understood as the above, we'll, we'll just we'll close on this. Uh, uh, it'll be clear that the entire congregation has a part to play in it by its prayer, by the love uh, by which it surrounds each person, by the practical acts which express uh, its concern for every man. It's the congregation is the primary agent of healing. <coughs> yeah, at the heart of this healing lies the ministry of the word, the sacraments, and prayer. The specialized work of those who have been trained in the techniques of modern medicine have their proper place and will be fruitful in the context of this whole congregational life. So we have to recognize that a rift has developed between the work of those with specialized medical training and the life of the congregation so that the congregation often does not see how it can take real responsibility for the work of a healing institution. One of the urgent needs of today is that Christian congregations, in collaboration with Christian medical workers, should again recognize and exercise the healing ministry which belongs properly to them. Okay, now, we had some health care providers here. How many of you health care providers are working with your pastor to enable your church to provide this healing ministry for your congregation in your, in, in your community? Any of you working with your pastor? Great, what are you doing? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. That's just wonderful. Any, anyone else? Okay, how many would disagree? How many would disagree? You know, this, this was the first uh, director of the Christian Medical Commission here. And, and that's, that's, we're reading his words here. How many of you would disagree with the, uh, with the Christian Medical Commission that this is a very important goal? Would anyone here disagree with that? Okay, great. So uh, the uh, CHS&E was developed to enable the local church, regardless of size, wealth, resources, or location, to begin to accomplish the above. And uh, CHSNE stands for Church-Based Health Screening and Education. However, you know, our program is it's used in restricted access countries, so we, we usually try to, we usually call it Community Health Screening and Education, and that's what you'll see on our website. And uh, those who are familiar with the website, uh, it's the very same CMC-based process that's available for downloading for many years. The only difference is that it focuses on those health conditions that the community has determined are of utmost importance to its health and well-being. And uh, we'll, we'll just skip over. You can read this on your own. Uh, it does not at all come from us, but from the Christian Medical uh, Missionary Mentors. Uh, it's evidence-based. You download it uh, free. Uh, uh, you can, it even shows you how to produce your own programs. Uh, 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 and if you click on these areas here, health screening and uh, participatory approaches, uh, you'll find all the guidelines that you need, and, and they're evidence-based and, and free. This is the... Uh, 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 just a, a summary of, of the approach that can be used in, in uh, developing countries. But the first thing you want to do is you want to take, you want to approach your congregation, take care of the problems that are there first, and then reach out to the community. 
Okay, we'll, we'll, uh, uh, this is our advertising flyer. One of the things I always get asked by short-term missions is, well, you know, if we don't take our, our suitcases full of drugs, how will, how will people come to us? You know, you got to have something to, you know, but, you know, you got to think about, you know, what I just said. You know, if we don't have our suitcases full of drugs, people don't come to us, you know. Uh, and this is, this is how, you know. Uh, 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 in, in addition to when and where, and this, this you can download from the website as, as well. Uh, you can use this for your own community uh, uh, programs in the states here. Uh, so the information, uh, it says here, the World Health Organization reports that 80% of premature heart disease, number one killer, 80% of stroke, number three killer, 80% of diabetes, number six killer, 40% of cancer, number two killer, and numerous other conditions can be prevented by you doing just three things. Much more important than all of our hospitals, clinics, doctors, nurses, drugs, and, and surgeries combined. Okay, what are those three things? Diet, exercise, and not Hey. Like I say, it used to take 10, 15 minutes uh, for groups of doctors and nurses to get that. Man, I'm impressed. Okay, uh, how, much, how valuable is this information? Uh, uh, would it be worth more to patients than all of our suitcases full of drugs uh, put together millions of times over with no adverse effects and no dependency? World Health Organization, HHS, uh, reports uh, that this is worth trillions, actually many trillions of dollars. How much do you think a drug company would charge for, for a pill that would reduce premature heart disease just by 5%? You know? uh, even if, if the WHO and HHS percentages were off by half or more, still all of our hospitals and clinics Doctors and nurses, drugs and surgeries cannot come anywhere close to achieving these kinds of, of results. So that's why beliefs and values are much more important to the health of the community than anything we uh, in, in medicine can do. Uh, very survival of our healthcare system is, is bankrupting our system. This comes from the UA, UN and WHO. So, uh, so from an evidence-based standpoint, all this political arguing concerning the financing of our healthcare system, it's nonsensical from an evidence-based standpoint. Unless we find a way to accomplish these three things, all methods of financing, whether it's government, private insurance, or individual, are going to lead to bankruptcy. There's absolutely no way we can pay for this. Okay. Uh, uh, well, we just got that. So, so this is uh, this is what what it is, and what's in our, the education materials that you can uh, download. A question was asked uh, by one of our colleagues. Uh, 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 the other day, what, where does reducing stress go in there? And, and reducing stress is part of our, our educational uh, program, but uh, it's, it's not included in the three things, uh, and uh, probably because it's very difficult to measure from an evidence-based standpoint. How do you measure stress in, in someone? But we do know it's important. So if you add, you know, if you'd add stress, number four, reducing stress to this, and most, most uh, evidence-based programs do a Mayo Clinic, for example, as stress reduction as a major part, Th then, the, then the percentages would be much higher. Yeah, stress, or yes, yes, that's right. Okay, uh, we're going to, we're, uh, but the, the question at the, the question 40 years ago for the Christian Medical Commission was the same. And this is the crisis they were facing was that they had to close down the, the, the mission hospitals because of lack of funding. And what they did when they studied it then, they found out was the mission hospitals really weren't important. 70% of the people weren't getting the care that, that, that uh, they needed from the mission hospitals. So what was needed were all the things that we talked about, the uh, community-based programs and so on. So that's that's what drove it. So so. So the problem today is, but the reason we no longer run our hospitals is because we could not afford it. Our church is already hurting financially. How much will it cost to begin to reassume uh, our responsibilities? 
So, and this this is important. In the absence of urgent action, uh, uh, this, uh, these economic costs uh, will will uh, be beyond the coping capacity of even the wealthiest countries of the world. So, what investment in medical research, technology, pharmaceutical drugs, supplies is necessary to save the world as well as all other countries from this medical and financial disaster? How, how much do you think? Uh, it's a total of about less than thirty dollars. Uh, that's the equipment that's needed for uh, determining a body uh, mass index. Uh, uh, it's uh, Taylor scale for less than $25, and uh, uh, Consumers Reports rates that the best, and World uh, the Workforce tape measure for less than four. With that, you can you can uh, 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 get the body mass index, uh, and so and with that you can save the world. Uh, every church, regardless of resources, can save the world, or at least your, your church's community. Uh, uh, and if you have more than $30, you have many additional options, like yours. You know, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, mental health is so critically important, and I'm so, so pleased to hear that. Uh, uh, at least one is uh, basing its program on, on the very same chapter of Daniel. They call it the Daniel program, and again, it's uh, uh, Saddleback Church and uh, Rick Warren. And, and look at this. You know, the Daniel plan is just another diet. It's a lifestyle based on the biblical history of, of a story of Daniel. Uh, and, and this is the, the, the parts of it. Connect for success. You know, go, just go to Daniel Plan or Saddleback and, and uh, just read this. Because connect for success, success, get in touch with your uh, health and others, rely on God's power, uh, eat delicious whole foods. They, and they, they have uh, courses for all of this and group meetings for all of this. Uh, uh, heal for life. Uh, 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 so if your church has the resources, please consider their report, uh, approach. It's, it's excellent, you know, and they continue to have ex- exceptional results. Uh, but what if you don't have the resources? Well, again, you, uh, 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 that's all you need. Uh, and what is most important is that each church implement as, as many of the CMC approaches to health and healing as possible. Uh, we, we have many uh, – we don't have time to go over this, but uh, – you know, these are all evidence-based. Uh, we, we know that if, if uh, uh, you know, sugar-sweetened beverages are one of the uh, – the World Health Organization says that uh, uh, that uh, for each additional can or glass of sugar-sweetened drink that they consume every day increases the risk of becoming obese by 60%. 60%. So that's, that's, that's one of the biggest problems in, in our youth uh, today as far as uh, 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 increased weight is the sugar-sweetened beverages. Uh, it includes Gatorade as well, and, and those – Preparations often the sports drinks often have a lot of sugar. You can all leave whenever you want, but uh, this has been proven to reduce the consumption. If you have something like this, uh, just post it in front of a soda uh, 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 stand. That'll reduce the the consumption or the, the purchases of uh, of uh, sugar sweetened beverages by over 50 percent. So, how many minutes would this teenager have to run to burn off the calories? How many do you think? What? Yes, yes, but. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, for the average teenage girl, how much do you think? Okay, 35 minutes. And this is, uh, this is you know, talking about poor churches, uh, we did a, a, a screening down in, in Baja, Mexico, and uh, this is Nurse Ellie, and her husband is a, uh, a pastor, uh, has two churches down there. They have absolutely no money. Uh, uh, but here, uh, you know, how many teaspoons of sugar in just one soda? That's what she's teaching them. She's using sand. You know, they, they don't have any money at all. Uh, uh, and uh, our previous health screening event down there, it, it, it showed tremendous rates of obesity. They have they have tremendous problems with with uh, uh, soda consumption down there. It's 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 just as bad or worse than ours ours here. Uh, 
Uh, and so this is a very important uh, lesson. Uh, just one can of soda a day. Uh, how many, uh, if you just had one can of soda a day at the end of the year, how many of these uh, bags of sugar, four-pound bags of sugar, would you have consumed? Uh, it's actually nine. Just one can. One can of soda a day. Yeah. And that's that's the thing with obesity. You know, it sneaks up on you. you uh, Rick Warren, I heard him talk once. He says, you know, I've been your, uh, I've, I've only, uh, since I've been your pastor, I've only gained two to three pounds a year. The problem is I've been your pastor for 27 years. That's what happens. It sneaks sneaks up on you. And, uh, and that's what it does here. You know, one can of soda a day. So how, what is that? Uh, you know, you're going to burn a lot of that off, but uh, 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 usually you don't burn it all off. So how many uh, how many extra pounds is that? No, it's 15 or more. Uh, yeah, 15 or more pounds a year. And then how does it? How, how much does that? What does that feel like to carry around 15 pounds? And there, Nurse Ellie again, uh, she's got 15 pounds of. Uh, of uh, sand in these these backpacks, and she's running around and doing jumping jacks, and these kids are with these backpacks are, are following her, and this is just hilarious, you know. So so, but think of the lesson, and look at all the people, you know, how, how they're laughing and, and so on. So so, evidence-based participatory approach, while addressing the most serious problems necessary to save most lives, prevent most suffering, as well as save the world from the pending slow-motion disaster, can be fun. Okay, we're, we're going to, and, and the last part just shows the evidence base. Uh, most of our, our, uh, our uh, modern, uh, modern day uh, treatments, uh, the percentage of our modern day treatments, our drugs, our, our surgeries, everything, the percentage of our modern day treatments that have been proven to be effective are only 15%. All of our, so how does our health education rate? It's tough to get into that 15%. NSAIDs, NSAIDs uh, uh, that we spend uh, uh, billions of dollars on in our country are, are here in a trade-off between benefits and harms. So it's the highest possible rating for everything. Uh, tobacco use, healthy diet, adequate exercise, all the highest possible ratings. Most cost-effective ratings. So all this will be on the, on the website, and, and you can, can download it. You can actually see what what areas uh, are, are most effective. And then, again from the World Health Organization, how effective is this approach when it's used by churches? And this is from the World Health Organization. Uh, and, and what they show, this is their highest rating. Effective is their highest rating, and it goes all, all the way down the list. So how does what we've been talking about rate? What they say is behavior can be influenced in religious institutions. Effective interventions, culturally appropriate uh, 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 events that are planned and implemented in collaboration with religious leaders and congregational members using pastoral support and spiritual strategies. This is coming from the World Health Organization. The, and the highest level of evidence that they have it includes group education set, sessions and self-help. Help, uh, 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 so we know that this is what's most important. Uh, we know that... Uh, since the time of McGilvery, we, over well over three decades, we've failed to respond to the urgent messages of the Christian Medical Mission. Uh, church and only the church has the holistic foundation to prevent them. Never has the need or opportunity been greater. And again, obesity can be a blessing. You're being obese. Uh, uh, Rick Warren's example is leading thousands. Uh, uh, he's lost over uh, uh, 50 pounds. I, I often talk to my pastor. I wish you weighed another 100 pounds. You know, you'd be much more effective. 
uh, in teaching <laughs> the rest of us. So in this particular instance, uh, being overweight or obese is 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 an advantage. Uh, and even more important, he's reaching out to the community. He's drawing the community in to the church. A tremendous opportunity for complete mind, body, spiritual health. Uh, that you're attending this conference, again, as we said, shows you have potential uh, uh, leadership uh, potential. Uh, you don't need a website or Dr. Oz, except for a scale tape measure and God. You won't need any resources at all. You can go to those websites there and uh, it'll point you to all the materials you need. So think about this. You know, Some people often go to a conference, they don't really know why they're there. So is this the reason you're here? You know, is God calling you to be a church and community leader? You know, from a biblical standpoint, there's no more important calling. From an evidence-based standpoint, there's no more critical need anywhere, anywhere in the world. And from a standpoint of both, there's no greater opportunity. So thank you for your patience and for putting, putting up with my inappropriate way of teaching. <laughs>